Welcome to Chi Alpha at the University of Virginia. This podcast is a collection of messages designed to help you grow in our three anchors of real devotional life, real community, and real responsibility. We hope that you enjoy this message and that it encourages you in your spiritual growth. Well, if we have not met yet, my name is Zach Hay, uh, and this is... Thank you. Uh, I'm excited to get to share with you this evening. Now, if you know me at all, you know that I am a bit of a sci-fi fantasy nerd, okay? I admit it. Uh, I have a whole bookshelf in my room dedicated just to sci-fi and fantasy books. Now, uh, it took me a few years to be comfortable to admit that out loud because apparently there's some kind of stigma around the genre, Some people think that sci-fi fantasy are just these dumb, simple stories about spaceships and elves. Now, okay, I admit, most sci-fi is about spaceships and most fantasy has elves. But if you believe that they're just dumb stories, I'm here to tell you you're wrong. You're you're just objectively wrong. Can I hear it from my sci-fi fantasy fans? Okay. Oh, you're here. Here's why you're wrong. Because sci-fi and fantasy are able to take these huge, big, weighty ideas about the human experience and package them in these really approachable and entertaining, epic tales of adventure and redemption. I have yet to find another genre that can do that better. And there's only one author who stands out among the rest, And that's the one and only J.R.R. Tolkien. That's right. I want to do a quick poll. Raise your hand if you have read the Lord of the Rings books. Okay, now keep them raised. Raise your hand if you have watched the Lord of the Rings movies. Okay, this is abysmally low. So if your hands are down, you know your homework, okay? So last month, I had the privilege of introducing one of our very own interns, Melody Day, to the Lord of the Rings. It was the first time she's ever watched the movies. We all got together in my living room for three weeknights in a row, and it was probably one of the better 11 hours and 36 minutes that you can spend. Uh, And now let's be honest, Melody, you were a little skeptical at first, okay? The first watch was just me and Melody alone in our living room, but I think I've converted her, right, Melody? Yes, because by the end of the night, there was tears, there was laughter, there was shouting for joy, right? There was this whole 10-minute period where Melody went from cowering behind a blanket to standing in the middle of the room, yelling at the top of her lungs, the Eagles! (laughs) If you know what you know. There is something about these stories that just move us deeply. And to prove it to you, I brought a clip for us to watch. Now, Before we do that, just a little backstory. I'm not going to spoil anything beyond the trailer, okay? But The Lord of the Rings is just a simple story about this guy named Frodo. He has this ring, which is a really burden to him. I I think it's uh, telling that Pete talked about a burden tonight. But he has this burden that he's, he's trying to get rid of. So he goes on this journey with his friend Sam and a bunch of other people. And along the way, pretty early on, they run into some trouble. And... 
Frodo decides that it's probably better for him to go alone. That it's easier for, if he takes the burden on himself and does not put his friends in harm's way. Okay, roll tape. If you want to know what happens, you have to go watch the movie now, okay? But come on! You cannot tell me that that does not tug at the heartstrings. I have watched grown men, Christopher Cole, sit in my living room and weep at this scene, okay? There is something that moves us about scenes like this. Why? I think there's two reasons why this is so impactful. One is it, it, it kind of speaks to our, this, this rugged individualism that we have in us. We, we often find ourselves with these burdens that we carry, this, this weight on our shoulders, and we think that it's best to deal with it on our own. We have turned our struggling into this sort of virtue. And the second reason I think this resonates with us is because deep down we know that we are not created to carry our burdens alone. Each of us is longing for someone to journey alongside of us, to sacrifice themselves for us, no matter the cost. We're all looking for our Sam. And I think the reason that the Lord of the Rings franchise has been so widely popular, I mean, this is one of the most massive, well-known franchises in history. And I, I don't think it's simply because of the great acting or the sword fights or the, the world building. All those things are great. But I think what draws people in is that at its core, this is a simple story of intentional, committed friendship. It hits on the fundamental need of every human being for connection. There is something wired in us to be connected to one another. And the sad thing is, I think we're living in a world where that sort of connection is growing more and more rare. Deep, intentional friendships are the thing of fantasy books. And yet our souls crave it. There's this term that's kind of circulating in the uh, global health world, and they say we are experiencing what they call an epidemic of loneliness. Now, I have a screenshot I want to show you. Now, this is not just from some random website. This is from the website of the U.S. Attorney General, okay? And this is what it says. Humans are wired for social connection, but we've become more isolated over time. Social connection is as essential to our long-term survival as food and water. But today, loneliness is more widespread than any other major health issues in the U.S. Our epidemic of loneliness and isolation is a major public health issue. 
Even our secular organizations recognize our fundamental need for human connection and friendship. And they are sounding the alarm that we are only getting more and more lonely as a society. And it is affecting our health. Look at this graphic from the same report. Lacking social connection is as dangerous as smoking up to 15 cigarettes a day. Can we all agree that smoking 15 cigarettes a day is pretty harmful? Well, social isolation is more harmful. It's more harmful than drinking six alcoholic beverages daily, more harmful than physical inactivity, more harmful than obesity, more harmful than air pollution. And yet, our loneliness is becoming normalized. But here's the reality. God has made us for friendship. God has made you for intentional friendship. It's not just a gift that God has given us. It is written into our very DNA. So what do we do? How do we develop that sort of deep, intentional friendship in our lives? Well, we have been in a series called Step by Step, David's Journey with God. And we have been journeying along with this guy named David who will one day become one of the most famous kings in Israel. And towards the beginning of his story is this narrative of one of the most quintessential friendships in all of Scripture. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Samuel chapter 18. If you don't have a Bible, we'll have someone bring one to you if you'd like one. There are some in the back. Now, as you're turning there, I want to do a little quick review. The first character that we have met is Saul. Now, the people of Israel went to God and they said, hey, we, we want our own king. We want to be like the other nations. And so God gave them this man, Saul, and he became king. But he did not follow the ways of God. And so God has come to Saul and said, I'm going to take the kingdom from you. And then the next character that we have is this guy named Jonathan. And he is the prince of Israel. He is Saul's firstborn son. And then there is David, this shepherd boy who Samuel, the prophet, has gone to and anointed and said, you will be the next king of Israel. But there's this weird waiting period where Saul's still king, but David's been anointed. And last week we talked about how Israel was at war with the Philistines, and they, they sent Goliath to mock Israel, and David was the only one brave enough, the only one with enough faith to step out, and he defeats Goliath. And as he's walking off the stage, or the battlefield, not the stage, <laughs> This, that's where we pick up our story. So, chapter 18, verse 1. After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his tunic, and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. How many of us can say that about our friends? How many of us feel one in spirit with our housemates? How many of us say that we can love our floor mates like ourselves? 
In the King James Version, it says that David and Jonathan's souls were knit together. That is pretty intimate language. That's not really the language that we would use to talk about our friends today. We prefer words like bro or buddy. But that's not the type of friendship that the Bible describes. It's way deeper than that. This is a friendship of real intimacy formed by a common purpose. To understand this, we have to look at the context that these four verses are found in. If you were to flip just a couple pages back in your Bible, in chapter 14, uh, you would see that Jonathan has a very similar experience to David. He's facing insurmountable odds, and he chooses in faith to, to take his army against the Philistines. And he says, perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. See, Jonathan understood that with God on your side, anything is possible. So when he watches David step out in front of Goliath, Jonathan sees another man with that same faith as his own. Jonathan recognizes that he and David share a common faith, a common purpose, and a common mission. And he, it instantly binds him to David. This, I think, is similar to how some of our friendships start. We, we like to find commonalities between us, right? Uh, you, you, you like tennis, so do I. You, you're on the worship team, I like to sing. The, the transition from stranger to friend starts with a sense of shared purpose. But unfortunately, a lot of us, that's where we stop, we, we surround ourselves with friends who talk like us. They play the same sports as us. But it never really goes deeper than that. We, we stay on the surface with our friends, and when times get tough or the world around us shifts, there's no one of depth for us to turn to. Drew Hunter wrote a book called Made for Friendship, and he said, friendship should be more like a submarine, holding few and going deep. But we have made it into a cruise ship and filled it with lots of people whom we don't really know at all. This is what is so deceptive about the culture that we're living in. We live in one of the most connected ages ever with our cell phones and our technology and our social media. We're surrounded by people and yet inside we feel the ache of loneliness. When we stop at commonality, we rob ourselves of a relationship that can half our sorrows and double our joys. Now, before I go too far, I want to recognize that there's also another response that we can have when we see someone who's similar to us. Look at verse 2. It says, From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family. And when I first read this, it, it, I thought it kind of seemed out of place. Why shove that in there? And it, it didn't understand until I kept reading the, the chapter. And you see, as Israel was returning from battle, it says that they were singing the praises of David and Saul. And if you jump to verse 7, it says, As they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. Saul was very angry. This refrain displeased him greatly. They have credited David with thousands, he thought, but me, or tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? 
And from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. You see, Saul kept David with him away from his family to keep an eye on him. After David stood up to Goliath, Saul did not praise him for his great faith. Instead, he envied him and saw him as a threat to his throne. We do this all the time. If I'm the funny guy in a relationship or a friendship, and another funny guy comes along, I have to hate him, right? Well, he's not really that funny, you know? And I become so full of jealousy that I can never really let that person become my friend. By allowing envy to rule in my heart, I rob myself of a friendship that can half my sorrows and double my joys. But Jonathan's response is exactly opposite to that of his father. Instead of becoming envious or staying at the surface, Jonathan goes deep. In verse 3 it says, And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. It is easy to just read over that word covenant, but it is an important phrase. The, the word covenant here, it would have been used to describe a treaty between a monarch and his subjects. It was a binding, lasting covenant. And in the culture that this was written in, that you would have, they called cutting the covenant by going through these three different rituals. They would have involved a sign, a sacrifice, and a serious commitment. So what's the sign? Jonathan demonstrated his covenant with David by giving him his robe, his tunic, and his weapons. This was a very visible proclamation of Jonathan's commitment to David. It, if, it was showing that he was going to commit and stay by David no matter what. If we are going to press into relationship with one another, if we're going to seek after deep intentional friendships, we have to start by moving toward another person. It's not going to happen if we just sit and wait for it. Almost a year ago, today, a little more than a year ago, I gave my very first sermon on the stage, and it was not an easy sermon to give. And I was really nervous to get up there, and I remember Gavin came up to me, and he handed me a, a, a card. And in it was a note. It was just a note of encouragement. But taped to the top of that card was a key. And it was a key to his house. And what he was telling me was, you have access to my life. And now, I, I don't often just barge into him and Kristen's living room unannounced. But it still to this day remains one of the most meaningful gifts I've given because it was a, a show of deep intentional commitment. So what is your sign to another person of your intentions to be committed, to go deep in a friendship? It may be messy and it may be hard, but I assure you it's worth it because God has made you for this type of friendship. Next is the sacrifice. And I think this is the part that keeps most of us from the joys of intentional friendship. Clearly, uh, people assumed that Jonathan was going to be the next king of Israel. He was the king's son, after all. But Jonathan had other plans. You see, Jonathan recognizes that the spirit of God was on David. And he's so 
committed that the throne be occupied by God's chosen, that he gives everything he had. Jonathan sacrifices his very birthright. When, when he removes his robe, it was his royal regalia. It was this symbol of his royalty. And by placing it on David, he was in essence saying, you will be king instead of me. That's crazy. Think about Prince William walking in that door and handing you the crown to the United Kingdom. That's what that would have been like. It's unheard of. And yet, that is exactly what Jonathan does here. I love what Beth Moore says about this moment. She says, can you imagine the face of the recipient whose clothes probably still carry to the faint scent of sheep? Jonathan recognized that this shepherd David was the true prince of Israel. It was a title that he could have jealously kept for himself, but he doesn't. He puts the things of God above himself. And he gains a friendship that will be talked about for millennia. How many of us are willing to sacrifice ourselves like this? How many of us are willing to lay down our pride in the face of God's will? That's what it takes to develop real intentional friendships. It's messy and it's hard, but it's worth it. Because God has made you for this type of friendship. And last is a serious commitment. By giving, giving David his weapons, Jonathan is demonstrating a commitment to protecting David. He commits to standing by him through thick and thin so that one day David can sit on the throne. Deep, intentional friends stick by one another. They commit to spurring one another onward in their journey to fulfill their God-given calling. Are you willing to stand by a friend even when it comes at great cost to you? Are you willing to spend those late nights with one another as wave after wave of the world's brokenness hits your friend? This is what it takes to develop real, deep, intentional friendships. It's messy and it's hard, but I assure you it's worth it because God has made you for this type of friendship. So we've looked at kind of the elements of this covenant, but what sits at its foundation? What is the foundation of the covenant that Jonathan makes with David? Jonathan's covenant with David is based on Jonathan's love, not David's response. Jonathan loved David for a singular reason, because he chose to. If you go back and read the passage, it doesn't say anything about David reciprocating that. We know he will, but that's not Jonathan's point. He moves towards David because he chooses to. What does that remind you of? In your Bibles, flip to 1 John 4.10 really quick. This is what it says. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us 
And he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in him and he in God. The sign. God sent his only son. The sacrifice. He sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. The serious commitment. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and he in God. God's covenant with Israel and his relationship with us is based on his love for us, not our love for him. God loves us for a singular reason because he chooses to. The basis of God's promise is the same as the basis of Jonathan's covenant with David. Not that we loved God, but that God loved us. God has made you not only for friendship with each other, but for with, but with himself. Our earthly friendships are important because they are a reflection of the type of relationship that Jesus wants with us. For many of us, the thought of friendship rings hollow today because we have hollowed out the idea of friendship in general. How highly or lowly we view friendship with each other will correlate to how highly or lowly we view our friendship with God. Jesus wants to be your friend. In John 15, he teaches that friendship is one of the greatest expressions of love. It is at the very heart of what the sacrifice that he gives on the cross. If we have a hollow view of friendship, then how can we ever relate to the one who calls us his, our greatest friend? Drew Hunter again says that the very existence of friendship in the world portrays something profound. At the center of the universe is a love so great that it must be shared. Through friendship, friendship with God and one another, God shares with us some things of his own eternal and effusive joy. God has made us for deep, intentional friendships with one another and with himself. I'm going to have the worship team come up. And as I do, I, I want to get really practical with us, okay? I, I think many of you are sitting here and you're listening and you're realizing, man, I have a hollow view of my friendships. You're looking around at the people in your life and you see acquaintances and at best, superficial friends. You have felt the ache of loneliness in your stomach that you have not been able to fill. I want to encourage you today to take a step of faith. Just look around. Find those people who share a common purpose with you. Choose one or two of them to get intentional with. What do I mean by intentional? There's a whole slew of ways you could do this, but it might first look like just putting yourself out there. Can you choose one person this week? Maybe it's somebody that you've had a friend crush on for a while. But you've been, yeah. Or it's somebody that you'd consider a friend you just haven't gone that deep with. Invite them to coffee. Hey, can we get dinner? I'd love to just talk, hear more about your story. Share a meal. Share your intentions and expectations for friendship. 
We do it for dating, why not with our friends? You know, you could find a friend that lasts a lifetime. Another way you can do this is by allowing yourself to be fully known. I've noticed that one of the like, most quoted but under-implemented axioms in Chi Alpha is that vulnerability leads to intimacy. It's true, and it's easy to say, but it's pretty hard to live out. Some of you are surrounded by people who have similar hobbies as you, but you have not shared the deepest parts of your life. You've built a wall around your true self and you're just hoping that they do not see you for who you really are. Will you, I challenge you today to open yourself up. Find one person who you can tear those walls down for. Who you can confess that deep sin who you can share that heavy burden that has sat on your soul, that you squeeze the hand of the person next to you for. Justin Whitmel Early, the new boss of my girlfriend, says this, that our friendships must turn from love of a common interest to love of the other person. And not just the projection that that person shows you, but their true, messy, beautiful self. I also want to make space for those of you who have sought after intentional friendships. You have put yourself out there, but you've been hurt. People have not met you, and you've been left scarred. We live in a fallen world, and as long as we do, we run the risk of someone else's brokenness rubbing up against our own. Don't let bad experiences with some people keep you from an intense source of joy. Vulnerability is hard because it leaves us vulnerable to wounds. But it is essential for knowing and being fully known. I want to close by speaking to those who have sat here and you felt affirmed I do have those two to three people in my life whom I can share the most important things in life. And praise God that you have that. I want to challenge you to take one step further. Have you realized that 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 friendship that you share is a picture of the relationship that Jesus wants to have with you? Be careful not to turn your friends into idols. Allow them to point you to your greatest friend. No matter which group you belong to, I hope you leave here today with the understanding that God has made you for intentional friendship with those around you and with himself. Can you imagine if we all took this message to heart? If we followed in the footsteps of David and Jonathan and built friendships that were built on a sign, a sacrifice, and a serious commitment. Imagine the joy that we would see on grounds. Imagine the restored relationships. It would look a lot like heaven, wouldn't it? And that is ultimately the hope that we have. Because when death and sin have passed away, what will remain are true, deep, intentional friendships with one another and with God.
Let's worship together. My God, I thank you, Lord, that you are not a God who sits on his throne far from us. But God, you have written yourself into our story. God, and you have called us to be your friends. And God, I pray, Lord, that we would have a renewed vision of what it means to be friends. Friends with one another, God, would we practice that dance of self-sacrifice with one another, Lord, and would it, would, it, would it enrich our relationship with you? Lord, I pray for the, the students in this room who ache for a real, deep, intentional friendship. I pray that we would be a community that can provide that. Lord, I pray that every student here, would you'd bring to mind the name of one person who they can go deep with so they may know and be fully known. And that that would bring joy. And Lord, it would point them to you. We pray this in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. And now for the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he turn his countenance towards you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Let's have a great week following Jesus. Thank you for listening to the Chi Alpha at the University of Virginia podcast. For more information, you can visit our website, xaatuva.com. 